The reading this morning is taken from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. It can be found on page 1151 of your pew Bibles. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, And in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you we can be here this morning. And Lord, open our hearts and our minds to the work of your spirit in us. And I pray, pour your spirit out upon us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, according to the dictionary, a label is a slip of paper for attaching to an object. But it could also mean a short classifying phrase or a name as applied to people. Now, in terms of the first definition of labels being paper attached to an object, um, there's all sorts of labels you can get. Um, Here's a very historic label. Uh, I don't know if you are a Coke drinker, but this is from one of the earliest Coke bottles. Uh, It's from around the turn of the 19th century, and it's very rare. And you can see that it's a real bottle with a real label. If you look at the bottom of the bottle, you can see the raised embossed glass work Uh, of the bottle tells you this is the genuine article. Very rare label. Uh, Some labels are funny though. Uh, And you've got to be careful with labels because even one letter can change the entire meaning of what's being said. Have a look at this one. I think they missed an S on the word grandma. Tastes like grandma's homemade jam. And then there's some that are just funny. Uh, I think this one was particularly made for teenage clothing. clever isn't it (laughs) and so labels they're fairly harmless when it's about objects but it's interesting when you have them with people um, sometimes 
We do that, don't we? We label people. You know, you're this sort of person or that sort of person. And when we come to a passage like we've got today, we're looking at a passage where people have got lots of labels. Now, if you are new to the things of Scripture and the Bible, uh, this is a passage that is a very well-known one for what's been called, for want of a better word, the charismatic debate. And there's all sorts of labels that come from this passage. You've got the Pentecostals, you've got the Charismatics, the Evangelicals, the Cessationists, the Continuous, uh, and they go on and on. Now, I don't want to get into labels this morning, but I do want to recognise that there's a particular word in here from which you have got what's been deemed the Charismatic Movement. And this passage that we're looking at today is one that has had a very significant influence in terms of how people have understood the work of God's Spirit. And it's a really helpful passage to look through. And so rather than talking about, if I can say, labels and where people go, I just want to give you my own journey to start with regarding my experience of how this passage and this movement took off. I became a Christian when I was 20. And I'd grown up in a fairly traditional Um, conservative, some might say deadly, um, Anglican church. It was on the North Shore. It was 1984 when I was converted, some 31 years ago. And the mainline churches when I came to faith were prevalent, but there were significant signs of what you might say as decline and decay. And church going back then was a much more acceptable practice. People still brought their kids to Sunday school and then would drop them and come and pick them up an hour and a half later. And they would think that would be a good thing for their kids to, if I can say, get some religion. And it was a period when the church was typically formal, faith was more private, uh, religion was considered a good thing for a person and the nation. Now that's not the way it is today. You could say the church was far more at the centre of society, yet those who had eyes to see could see that what was Uh, had been for many years, if I can say, a period of what they've called Christendom was coming to an end. And the church's place was rapidly moving from the centre to the edge of society. But yet in the midst of this, if I can say, religious landscape of what I would say was fairly formal and some would have said quite dead spirituality, a movement arose that was first called Pentecostalism and then the Charismatic Movement and one came after the other. They were slightly different. I don't want to go into the differences today. But literally there were Pentecostal churches and charismatic churches springing up like wildflower around the place. And in fact, not just around, if I can say Sydney, all across Australia there was this uh, movement of kind of churches being planted. And they would meet in schools, they'd meet in public halls, they'd meet in converted houses uh, and warehouses. And I remember as a young Christian, I was dragged off to one at Gordon Public School And I must say, it was the last time I experienced people dancing in church. And that was very unusual for me, who had been an Anglican choir boy and worn robes in church, to kind of experience being in the conga line. And I thought, what is going on? Now, I haven't danced in church until that day, until this morning, with Burundi Dave. And that was a lot of fun. And you would say, it was very lively, very passionate and very striking. And at the core of these churches was the insistence that just as the Holy Spirit had worked in the book of Acts, and you can read through uh, the miraculous way God had worked then, that the Holy Spirit was working today. And in many ways, if you want to sum up 
what was kind of core to the movement was that the Pentecostal and Charismatic churches were what you would call a restorationist movement. They saw themselves as returning to the historic roots of the apostolic churches recorded in the book of Acts. And there's no doubt this passage was key. And what are we to make of this? Some have looked at this passage and said, yes, the things that you see in the text were real in the early church. Very real. But they don't happen today. We now have what is technically called the closing of the canon, and so we've got scripture. And those things really were a reflection of what you would call the apostolic era when the apostles were ministering the word of God. And the miracles and the amazing things of healing and the like really reflected that period and they gave authority to the apostles' message. We've now got the apostolic message kind of delivered to us. They don't happen anymore. Others have said, well, just as you see these things happen then, so we should see them happening today, all the time. We just need to receive the Holy Spirit and believe in his power to be at work in us. And so it's worth asking the question as we come to this passage today, and it's the first of, if I can say, a couple of passages we're going to look at. Um, What are we to make of this? What are we to make of this here at St Matthew's Manly? Well, I want to say what we always do, we read the text and understand what it's got to say to us, and we believe it. This book that we look at is not just a historic record, but it's a living book that will speak to us today. And I've only got two points to make to us this morning. Um, And I'll just show you the word for charismatic comes from the word charismata or charisma. Uh, It's where we get that phrase to be a charismatic person. It originally just meant a gift or grace gift. And in the context here, it talks about a gift of the Holy Spirit. And those who are gifted were the charismatics. Now, it's worth saying... All of us are charismatics, we're going to come to that. But that's where that word comes from and it's in the passage in chapter 12 verse 4. Uh, And there's two things I want to say to us. Firstly is this unity. When you look at this passage, one of the things Paul is trying to do at the very beginning is say to the Christians in Corinth, and I would say say to us here today, there is a unity that we have in the gospel through the work of the Holy Spirit. And all of us... If we are professing Christians, God has dealt the same way with all of us. Let's have a look at what he says. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 12. We're on page 1151. It would be helpful to have your Bibles open. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now it's worth saying, and I don't normally do this, but I don't think that's the most helpful translation there for the word gifts of the Spirit. Um, That phrase actually is there in verse 4. When you come to, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit who works in them. But it's actually a different word here in verse 1. It's the word pneumaticone. And you think of the word pneuma, pneumatic, which is what? It's to do with air. Pneumatic drives, driven by air. Well, what he's saying is, I want to talk to you about spiritual matters. Pneumatics in the Greek language. And it could be about spiritual people, in terms of being a masculine word, it could be a neuter word. I think it's actually just talking about spiritual things. And he's saying, I want to talk to you about spiritual matters. Because no doubt in the church, there was this confusion about 
spiritual matters. And what we're talking about today is really the supernatural. And that's what Paul was dealing with at this point. It's the reality that in this world, there's not just flesh and blood, but there's a spiritual reality to life and there's a spiritual world. Though not seen visibly, it's incredibly real. And you only have to read through Paul's letters to say, to see that great reality that there is this world that we see, but yet there is a spiritual world and a spiritual warfare that we are caught up in. There's a reality to God, the Holy Spirit, the devil, angels, demons. They're real. And it's about these spiritual matters that Paul does not want us to be, as a church, uninformed about. What appears to have happened in the church here at Corinth is that there was a sense of spiritual elitism that developed amongst some of the congregation members. Some of them thought they were better than others. They were more gifted by the Spirit to do ministry in a way that was quite spectacular. And so Paul says, look, about spiritual matters, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. And have a look at verse 2 and 3. He says, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's getting them to think back to before they were Christians. And he says, don't you remember those times? You were influenced, you were led astray to mute idols. You did not worship the living God. And it's only because of the work of the Holy Spirit in you that any of you can say, Jesus is Lord. You see, that's this unifying experience that we all have. If I can put it in the current context. Australians are typically hardened to the gospel the idea of God is one that they still entertain but the reality that Jesus is the only way to the father that our sins will find us out on judgment day and we'll be condemned by God because we've turned our back on him is not a popular message this world is what if I can say Sydney-siders, manly people in particular, think is where it's at. And Australians are led away from the gospel, from understanding that the true and living God is found only in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And to know him means to give your life to him over and above everything and everyone. You see, this is the gospel. Jesus is Lord and as the Lord of the world he has in his incredible love died for us because of our sin because we've turned our back on him because we worship this world rather than him and the gospel calls us to repent and believe the good news that Christ has died for us and we turn around and serve him as Lord now let me just say the only way that ever happens is because the Spirit of God opens a person's eyes so that when they see Jesus, they don't just see this religious figure who is a good person. 
uh, I was listening to Q&A one night and um, Tanya Plibersek was talking about the fact that, and, uh, that she was asked the question, it was in the context of, do you believe in God? No, I don't believe in God, but she appreciated Jesus. And she could recount the stories from Sunday school, the Good Samaritan, etc., etc., that had stayed with her. But you see this Jesus figure... Her eyes had not been opened to see that he is the living son of God. Her heart had not been changed. That can only happen because the spirit of God touches us and melts our heart so that we look to Jesus and go, yes, you are the living Lord. Jesus would say, being born again. It's worth saying, particularly to people who are in church, there is the world of difference between understanding that there is a God and understanding that Jesus is the Lord and actually personally confessing that and receiving him as your Lord. And you see, that's what Paul is reflecting on here. That is the baseline experience of all Christians. Jesus is Lord. And Christians should be aware of the Spirit of God at work in their life. That your eyes have been opened, that your heart has been softened, and that your will is now directed towards God. That is the experience of knowing God. And let me just say, if you are not aware of the Spirit of God coming into your life to open your eyes to the Lord Jesus and touch your heart and melt you, it may be that you're actually not a Christian. It may be that you just understand Christian things, but you've never actually become a Christian to accept him as your Lord. And you need the Spirit of God to do that. And I'm going to pray for us at the end, and perhaps you might just want to ponder, has the Spirit of God actually come into your life? Or do you need to ask him this day? Because that is the unifying work of the Spirit of God in all of us. Jesus is Lord. But yet, there's a second work which is to do with diversity. And so there's unity in the Spirit, but there's also diversity. And the Holy Spirit works the same in all of us to bring us to the point of conversion where we confess Christ is Lord. But there is a different work He does in all of us, which is to gift us in ministry. So have a look at verse 4. Having said, all of you can only confess Christ is Lord by the work of the Spirit. He then says in verse 4, but yet... There are different gifts, kinds of gifts. And this is the word charisma, where charismatic comes from. There are different kinds of charisma, gifts. But it's actually the same spirit who distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in every one, it is the same God at work. You see, what is on view here is the reality that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to Christians to use... In service of God. And there are different kinds of gifts. We don't all get given the same gift. And the charismatic and the Pentecostal movements arose historically because people claimed that the church was beginning to rediscover these gifts of the Holy Spirit, if I can say, in very significant ways. It was kind of a movement that was associated with this. But I want you to know what Paul is saying here in verse 4 to 6. He's saying you've got different gifts, but you've got the same Holy Spirit. You've got different service, but you've got the same Lord, referring to the Lord Jesus. You've got different workings, 
But you've got the same God referring, I believe, to God the Father. In other words, this triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is at work to give different gifts, to enable different ways of serving, to enable the work of God to carry on. Now, there's a significance about the way he's put this, if I can say, word structure together. Because there is no doubt that there was a problem there in Corinth. Christians who had received some of these gifts of the Spirit were more more concerned with their own good and if I can say how they were able to use these gifts and feel spiritual than the common good. And it led to a form of spiritual elitism. Oh, you don't speak in tongues. I can do miracles. And you imagine if you're in the church and you've got people speaking in tongues and you've got people who are healing and people who are prophesying and they've got others who aren't. It's a breeding ground for our human pride to be at work and for spiritual elitism to come in. And you see, what Paul does is he actually wants to flatten out any distinctions between any of the gifts, the so-called charismatic gifts and the non-charismatic gifts. You see, he says there's different kinds of gifts and he's going to list some of them. There's about 20 different gifts mentioned in about three or four different places in the New Testament. So you've got different gifts by the Holy Spirit, but you've got different service. Now, the word service is an interesting word. It just means to serve. So if you come out after the service, there will be people serving. What will they be serving? Not healings, cups of tea. And we call that service. The other word in there, working, it's a very simple word. It means to work. (laughs) There's all sorts of ways people work serving God and what Paul is doing is saying you know yes you've got some gifts spectacular you've got service it just goes on in other words whether you heal someone or whether you serve the cup of tea to the person in need from God's point of view they're the same there's no difference In that, it's actually God who's doing it. You are not better because you have one gift or less better because you don't have that gift. And he's trying to flatten out this distinction that has historically arisen, that you've got charismatic people and non-charismatic people. You see, you're charismatic if you confess Christ is Lord. That is the work of the Spirit that all of us have. And then there's going to be different ways that God is at work in us. And have a look at verse 7. It's a key verse because it's a transition in this kind of argument. He says, Now to each one, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And so if you're confessing Christ as Lord, everyone who confesses Christ as Lord, the Spirit is going to be manifest in your life in some way, shape or form to enable you to serve. Now one of the problems is often we actually are not aware of the way we're gifted. It doesn't mean you haven't got the Spirit of God. It probably means that you haven't been active in ministry and you need some, if I can say, some encouragement and help to be involved in thinking how you can serve other people. You see, spiritual gifts are not here for personal 
if I can say, experiences and grandizement. It's not that there at all. They're there for, to quote Paul, the common good. And whether you're up front teaching, whether you're praying for someone for their healing, whether you are, if I can say, folding the bulletins in the office, one of the gifts is administration, it's a great gift to have. Whether you are visiting the lonely person with pastoral care, whether you are sharing the faith with someone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, whether God has given you a prophetic insight into something that you're sharing to encourage someone. We are no different and we are no better and no more spiritual than the baseline of the confession that we believe Jesus is Lord. And so what do we make of these gifts? And I guess this is where the controversy has been. What do these mean? Well, let me give you a few thoughts. I've got five things to say about these gifts and then I want to finish by getting us to pray. Because Paul is very clear that there are all sorts of gifts and if you read Ephesians, he talks about some. If you look later in this letter, he mentions some others. You look at Romans, he mentions some others he hasn't got here. You look at Peter, he looks at some others. But here, out of the 20 or 20-odd, he mentions a few, and I want to just run through them. And there's no doubt the thing that, if I can say, unifies this group is they are, if I can say, more spectacular in terms of their outworking as against giving, which is a gift, or showing mercy to someone. Both very important. So what do we say? First of all, I want to say this, they're real. And I want to acknowledge some have historically said that these are more spectacular gifts uh, died out after the early church, but I don't think that's true. And in fact, most evangelical scholars today agree with this. When you read through this letter, he's writing to ordinary Christians with the expectation that God would be at work through them in these ways. And there's nothing in Scripture to signal or highlight that we should believe this would stop before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are still in that same era where the Spirit has been poured out and yet we await the return of Christ and so we experience the kingdom of God now as we wait for it to fully come when the Lord Jesus returns. It's the same period of time. And so I think these gifts are real. They do operate. It is worth saying though, when you read carefully through church history, there's no doubt they've operated at kind of different levels in different points of history. And sometimes there seems to be a concentration of the way God works and you'll see some spectacular things happening, sometimes you don't. Now, what I think is interesting is one of the most spectacular outpourings of the Spirit of God was in the 18th century. And in particular, if I can say, and I'm speaking in terms of Western culture, um, African culture and Asian culture, where God has been at work, there's a different history. But just thinking in terms of my own roots with um, Anglican culture, we come from Europe, typically, America. And in the 18th century, there was what was called the Great Evangelical Awakening. It was a revival. It was incredible. And some of the names you may be familiar with, and they're worth reading. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest minds of American history, full stop. 
He was one of the great preachers, incredible awakening under his ministry up in the northeast of America. Now, he partnered, if I can say, spiritually with George Whitfield and the Wesley brothers. And no one would say this was not one of the most incredible outpourings of the Spirit of God, yet there were no kind of miracles, healings of the nature that are talked about here. And I mention that because, you see, the way God works is according to his wisdom. But they are real. And the gifts are available today. You see, secondly, they're distributed by the Holy Spirit. And so you can't twist God's arm. You can't conjure them up to try and make them real as much as we might want. And let me just say, when someone is sick and facing serious illness, there is a real sense of desperateness when you pray with them. And I wish I could on tap, pray for God's healing. And I've seen people healed. But we have no control over it at that level. You see, God will distribute his gifts according to his will. And that's what he says at the very end. To each one of us, he distributes them just as he determines. Uh, One of my existential kind of crises as a very young Christian having come from an evangelical church, having had friends who are Pentecostals, was that I didn't speak in tongues. I remember thinking, I'd love to, God. Yeah, to this day, I'm still waiting, but you know what? I'm not worried. It's not a big issue for me at all anymore. I'm satisfied in knowing Christ and the gifts that he has given me. And the interesting thing is every staff team that I've worked on, we've had people who've spoken in tongues. Uh, it's a reality, but yet it's not one that has been there for me. And so... The gifts of the Spirit are distributed by the Holy Spirit and the way he will work in us as a church may be different to the way he works in other churches because he, in his wisdom, works out what he's going to do. So that's the second thing. But thirdly, we need to take care to understand them. So let me just go through what I think these gifts are. And for those who are well-read, I'm quoting typically here Don Carson, who is an esteemed evangelical, biblical scholar and speaker, many of you may have heard him. And I'm following his lead here on what I want to put forward. Firstly, messages of wisdom and knowledge, what are they? Well, it's interesting, the emphasis here is not exactly on wisdom, but on the messages of wisdom and knowledge. The word there is logos, you may be familiar with that word. And it's not clear how these two gifts differentiate from each other, wisdom and knowledge. Uh, They're probably for those, if I can say, endowed with gifts that enjoy a special experience of the Spirit by which a message may come to you transmitted for the benefit of others. In other words, God just gives you an insight, a word to speak, that you just recognise this is from God. You have knowledge, you've got wisdom, you've got a word for someone. And there's a very strong sense... God has laid this on your heart. Now, one of the problems is, if I can put it this way, uh, I think historically some who, if I can say, on the more charismatic side have used particular language and evangelicals on the other side have used different language. When I've talked to people and you kind of dig down, you actually see people experiencing the same things. They're often just using different labels. And what I think it means is that God has put something on our heart and revealed something to us 
that you might be able to work out invariably another way, but it's given to you for the benefit of others. So that's a message or word of wisdom and knowledge. But secondly, there's one here called faith. Now, it's worth saying, if you are a Christian and you're confessing Christ as Lord and Saviour, by definition you have faith. In other words, you are trusting your life into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you and deliver you by his death and resurrection. You've got faith. But there's a special faith that this is talking about, not saving faith. And this special faith enables believers to trust God to bring about certain things for which he or she cannot claim some divine promise recorded in Scripture or some state of affairs grounded in the very structure of the gospel. And it's worth saying, I've experienced this in my own life where God has just impressed upon me and given me the faith to press forward in leadership, knowing, believing on no other grounds that I'm just believing God that things will happen. And I've experienced this on numerous occasions. And it's interesting, Max looked at me today, last week, and just said, yes, Bruce, you've got the gift of faith. Gifts of healing. I'll quote Don Carson here. There can be little doubt that Paul understands these healings to be as miraculous as those of the Lord Jesus himself. And they were pretty miraculous. But what I want you to note is this. It's listed in the plural on three occasions here in three chapters. In other words, it actually says gifts of healings. Now, why is that significant? Because I think what it means is there's no official, if I can say, person in the church who is a healer. And you'll often see that, that this is the healer. There's no doubt some are more gifted in healing ministry than others. Personally, I'll pray for you, but I'll get someone else. I've seen some people who've got remarkable ability, if I can say, or giftedness in this. But what I think it's saying is actually all of us can have this capacity. There's gifts of healings. And I'd encourage you to be praying for each other. You don't need the staff to do that. You can actually pray for each other. Now, there is a point where you call the eldership and it's significant and very happy to do that. But gifts of healing, yes, God can heal today. Miraculous powers, quoting Don Carson again, it can include healings, exorcisms, nature miracles and other displays of divine energy. In other words, God can work through us as we pray for incredible things to happen. And I've seen incredible things happen. Distinguishing between spirits. If ever there is a need to distinguish between demonic forces and the Holy Spirit, um, there's no doubt um, we live in an era of mixed messages and the spirit of God is at work but the spirit of darkness is also at work and this gift apparently is designed to meet that need. Prophecies, tongues, interpretation of tongues, you'll have to wait till next month on that one, I'm going to deal with that when we come to chapter 14 and do a whole sermon on that. But what I'm saying is these things actually occur, they're real. Fourth, we must avoid spiritual pride and division. And I'm coming to an end here. I think history has shown that chaos ensues in churches where two things happen, where people get puffed up because they think I'm doing something and aren't I spiritual? And secondly, their pride leads them to move away from this. And you see, Paul will say later in chapter 14... 
if you don't listen to me as the one who is giving you God's command, then God's not going to listen to you. It's a very strong command. Have a look at one chapter, chapter 14, verse 36 onwards. And you see, problems come when we puff ourselves up with pride and we don't sit underneath the word of God. And the word of God actually is our final authority on all matters of faith and conduct. And you may feel God is putting something on your heart. Well, at the end of the day, you need to actually check, is this in line with the word of God? And I heard a very telling phrase from a brother who's a Pentecostal, Wayne Cordero. He said, you know, when I hear God speak to me, it sounds strangely like the voice of Scripture. And I thought that was an interesting thing to reflect on. Because this is what will keep us humble and in order as we minister underneath the Word of God. But lastly, we must seek God to be at work in our lives. And I would say you will see God at work in your life more and more and the Spirit at work in your life more and more as you experience and live out the reality that Jesus is your Lord and that you want him more and more in your life. And so if you're not experiencing God working through you, maybe it's because there is no hunger and passion to have him as Lord. And to submit your life and open your life up to him as Lord. And call upon him as your Lord to be at work in and through you. Because one thing that is very clear in scripture is this. God will work through the hearts of those who are humble before him. He lifts them up whereas the proud he brings to nothing. And friends, that's where we need to finish on our knees. Because I want the Holy Spirit to be at work here in this place. I want us to be filled with the Spirit of God. So that we are speaking the word of God to each other. That we are using our gifts to pray for each other. That we are building each other up. And that whatever ability or gift we have in Christ, that we use that here in the context of our congregational gatherings as we meet afterwards, as you meet in small groups, as you just connect, that you are using your gifts to build each other up for the common good. And I just want to stop and pray for us now. So let's just stop and be quiet. And I just want to ask this morning for you to think, what is your prayer under God for the work of God's Spirit in your life? Is it that you don't know him and you need to have the Spirit of God come into your life to experience and know the reality that Jesus is your Lord? Or is it knowing that, that you want more of him so that you can be gifted to build the church, serve the body and proclaim the gospel? Let us pray. I'm going to leave just... 30 seconds for you to be quiet and pray your own prayer first and then I'm going to pray for all of us.